0: It's just right for us.
1: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about Week 12 action around the AFC East. A whole lot of losers. A whole lot of losers to be found around here. And we open with the New England Patriots. Mr. Christian Simonelli. Christian, there's there's no words, right? (laughs)
3: Like, there's... You no, I, I mean, since, you know, we're running out of words in the dictionary here at this point,
2: I'll get you a thesaurus for Christmas so that you can come up with more ways to describe how the Patriots have let you down this year. But here's what I find interesting. Quarterback. OK, offensive line, pass rusher, wide receiver. Now a kicker. Like, What position on the Patriots roster isn't a problem? As we're closing out the 2023
3: season, look, there isn't one. I mean, I, I guess you could you you could say running back, but that's also like probably one of the most irrelevant positions in today's game. (laughs) So, yeah, there there really aren't any. Every, Every play, every position has issues, question marks. Um across just across the board.
2: Yeah. After the release of Will Greer, now they've obviously re-signed him today. Mm-hmm. In fact, today they re-signed him to the, the roster. But the fact that you had quarterback Will Greer in the building and then you released him. <laughs> and then you brought him back for reasons unknown. <laughs> like nobody knows why you're doing these things. Same thing with Malik Cunningham. You signed him to an extension. Then you release him. <laughs> you bring him back it's like why did you send him to an extension then What what's happening here and I tweeted out on Friday I believe it was just that when I found out that this was all happening I said who are the Patriots fans who genuinely believe that Bill Belichick the GM never mind throw out the head coach label for a minute Bill Belichick the GM has an understanding of how to operate a functional quarterback room in 2024 and like what's your stance on what you see the future of this thing being i mean this guy has gotten every crack at it he's had draft capital involved he's had the chance to go scour the waiver market and find guys whether it be free agency whether it be through waivers this is what your quarterback room looks like and this is how it operates do you trust him to manage this successfully
3: No, because he hasn't. He hasn't done it since Brady left. He he didn't have a plan. He didn't have a. They they weren't expecting Brady to leave. As, as crazy as that sounds, like and as bad as two thousand nineteen ended, um, you know, with them losing in the playoffs at Tennessee. Like, like they they always thought he was going to come back. Kraft did too, and then that's what happens when you end up having to sign Cam Newton in June. Like you had no. They had no plan, so they they go into the next year and they take a quarterback. At it, it, it 15, who was, you know, at the time, the fourth best quarterback in that draft. And then from there on out, they proceeded to do everything that you could possibly do to ruin a young quarterback. So, no, I, I, have, I don't have any faith in him at all. And, and people say, how can you do it if you've been watching for 20 years? thing? I go, yeah, I have. I have. It's been, it's been a great ride. It's been, it's been probably the best experience that any fan base in sports has, has probably ever had. But it's time. Look, look at the past four years. Don't give me what he did in 2004. (laughs) Give me what he did in 2020. We literally
2: just spent our entire recap podcast talking about that with Sean McDermott. Don't tell me about the past. Tell me about what's happening now and what's reasonable to project into the future. And if you can't do that and have it end somewhere positive, then I want to get off. I want off this train. I'm watching the Giants like thing on my phone as I'm... You know, I'm doing some DIY stuff earlier in the day on Sunday. I'm tooling around the house. And I see that Mac Jones has two interceptions through the first half and is getting outplayed by Tommy DeVito. It seems like the franchise has finally done everything they can to undermine this kid, and he just has no... There's nothing there anymore, is there?
3: No. And it's to the point where... Um... You know, people say he's broken, you know, that, that, that he's got happy feet, that he feels the rush. He, he's, <clears throat> he's not seeing the field, and he doesn't have a strong arm. So, he's just a, just a total mess right now.
2: So, this happens, and now we've gotten into the second straight week of them saying, we're not going to say who our quarterback is except Mac Jones took no starters reps this week in practice. It's been Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham. Do you think that the Mac Jones era in New England has finally come to an end?
3: I've been saying that for a month. I hope it has. I mean, he's gone out and, and, and just continued to, 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 to just be awful. And he's upping his, his, himself every week. And the most, like, you know, say what you want about the Giants and, you know, Wake Martindale is a good defensive coordinator. You, you, had, a, you had a week. You had a bye week to, to quote, get yourself right. If anything, it was just to take an extended look at, at what you were doing and maybe modify the offense a little bit to your strengths. Apparently they did that, but it certainly didn't translate on the field. Um he was again thrown off his back foot making poor reads like I just said. And he doesn't have the arm to overcome that. Like he, he doesn't have when he looks at a play, he still thinks in his head, and I believe this even though three years is in the league, that he he's at Alabama, that oh I can I can fit it in that window or oh my guy is gonna is gonna beat the other guy. Like those windows that you had that exist nowhere in the NFL now. And you do not have uh, the luxury of, you know, saying that you can fit it in here or having a a player bail you out. Like, you know, just you don't even have to like watch a game. Just you know, look at look at look at the look at the people on Twitter. Look at the guys, the ex-coaches, the ex-players that say this wide receiver core is just a mess. So, and I'm not giving him excuses. Like, again, they had the bye week. But just to go to show you, too, like how bad Belichick and back in real quick, how bad they botched this season. They botched the quarterback position. I mean, least happy. he had a chance to go toe-to-toe with Mack in the bye week. I mean, he couldn't even perform well in practice enough to, to get the start. So then they put him in there. Yeah, he leaves him on a touchdown drive. Great. He threw a pick. <laughs> Surprise. Probably could have thrown two more. Um they're just awful. I mean, I, I, you know, I said to you a while ago we on this podcast that how, how do you, how could you possibly be this bad going all the way back to like all the spring camps in May and training camps and practices that you had throughout the year? How could you possibly be this bad? I still don't, I still don't understand. I don't necessarily see the team quitting. You know, like guys dogging it. There are guys showing up every week, but it's kind of like only like a handful of guys that look like they're playing really well, like Christian Balmore or Lamondre Stevenson. Um, Dietrich wise like it's far a few between. Like we're at that point now, where guys are gonna preserve their bodies, but also, you know, are gonna want to put up some decent tape at least for free agency to say, hey, you know, I was on this team that was, you know, two and nine, wherever they end up. Yeah, I was playing hard. You know, I, I, look, who, I look who was around me. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to say, look who was around me. You know, like, well, look who that's it. inside of me or whatever.
2: You have all these guys who are going to start pointing at each other going, yeah. look at this. Look what I'm working with. You guys are now entering a week where mathematical playoff elimination is on the table. How is the fan base prepared for that emotionally? Like, are you guys ready? Like, is that a thing you've all embraced? The idea that... We're not making the playoffs, but also we're here for the first time in decades.
4: Yeah,
3: it stings a little less because of last year. Um, And I, I haven't heard anybody mention the word playoffs since like August. Well, that's good. When Robert Kraft came out and said... You know, oh, I like our team. I like that people are, are you know, calling us the underdogs. To stand. They're like, God bless him. I love Robin. God bless you. you know, I mean, we, even though, even uh, you know, he, you know, and I'm looking, and I'm watching it, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, wow, my God love him. You know, he doesn't know how bad they are. And at the time, I'm thinking, wow, we're well, only going to win six or seven games. You know, <laughs> I overshot that <laughs> by like four times. That's so, the frustration. Um, that's got to be no, the frustration. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah.
2: No, what I was going to say is time is a flat circle.
3: Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait.
2: You guys are about to be eliminated from the playoff contention the earliest since the turn of the century, which would be the year Bill Belichick inherited the team from Pete Carroll. It would just seem to be a weird but fitting final cycle there. If that's how he, you know what I mean? Like, hey, his very first season, we were eliminated from the playoffs very early. It was a bad, you remember those years, right? 2000? It was a bad team. They tore the roster down, they were in the process of rebuilding. Yeah. So you've come full circle over the course of 23 years to a place where this six-time Super Bowl winning, you know, just absurdly talented head coach, has reached a place where, I don't know, he flew too close to the sun, and eventually you come back down. And now he's entering the season essentially where he started. It would seem fitting if they were to move on from Bill Belichick in this offseason, wouldn't it?
3: I hope they do and yeah it would um I, I, I don't know like I have said on this podcast before too like I, this is a business to them you know they have a franchise that they bought for I don't know what it was it was a couple hundred million at the time so now it's valued at close to five or six billion something like that I mean they want to make money playoffs are playoffs are money primetime games are money like um sorry primetime games are money more for the exposure you don't get any more money for playing a primetime but yeah. um You know, this is a team that relished being on Monday Night Football, that loved having Sunday Night Football coming here. Like, you you guys see the schedule? Like, are you kidding me? That they're going to trot this team out? You know, on Christmas Eve night and Monday night? Like, so, because after San Diego, excuse me, L.A., they got short week Thursday against the Steelers, national game. Following Monday night against the Chiefs, national game. Christmas Eve... Sunday night football, Denver. <laughs> it's like you got to be kidding me. Um, so yeah, I think it's time, and I think they know that. And again, I think it'll be something that will be unless Bill gets pissy. I mean, unless Bill, Bill, Bill gets pissy and says, you know, you better fire me, like because he's got another job lined up and he could get kind of tricky. Yeah, I think it'll be a mutual parting of the ways. We've decided to part our ways, and Kraft will pay him, and and that'll be it, whatever's left upon his deal. Um, I just cannot see them running it back. I cannot see the money get back. Bill, in my opinion, would have to would have to agree to really let go and give up a tremendous amount of control. Um, and what I mean by that is picking the players, and also like having somebody with input to, to play players. Like you can have the players, but if Bill's still here, like you know, is he? And I know you guys deal with this with James Cook in Buffalo. Guy fumbles a ball goes into the witness protection program <laughs> yeah happens put it back on the field like you, you don't want like so you're telling me we're going to get like marvin harrison jr or something and he fumbles or you know uh, or whatever or does or maybe like doesn't dogs are on a route or something and then he gets taken off the field like no like you, you need a coach that's going to have these guys play through it like <clears throat> peyton manning's rookie year through 26 interceptions and in that 18 touchdowns let him go out there and do it. Like, the talent's there. Like This is it. And, and that's what I worry about Bill. Like, he's going to play these stupid games. Like, he played with the quarterback position. Like, this isn't 1995 in Cleveland, Bill. No. Like, this isn't – <laughs> these things don't – they don't work anymore. It's different. It's different now. The kids are different. Coming into the league, it's different now. The league is run different. And you've got much shorter leashes than you ever had before. So that's what I would worry about, Bill being here. So that's why they got a clean house. And I, like I said, I love Gerard Mayo, but I don't want that thing around. I don't want that whole thing. I want a whole new thing I could complain about. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you.
2: Now, as I let you go, my coworkers and I talked about a night. I've got a couple Patriots fans, coworkers. We talked about a potential nightmare scenario for Buffalo Bills fans today. And I want to, I just want to get your quick thoughts about it. <clears throat> we'll do this lightning round style. Belichick fired by the Patriots. Sean McDermott fired by the Bills. Bill Belichick gets hired by the Buffalo Bills. Proceeds to lead them to a Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills are now forced outside of their brand new stadium to build a statue of Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is now on the wall of fame. Inside the new stadium for all of eternity, <laughs> and Buffalo sports fans enter the most conflicted phase of our existence ever. How would you support it?
3: Honestly, for the entertainment value, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like it'd be like that episode of, of, uh, of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson in uh, one of the Halloween episodes sold his soul uh, for donuts, and they put him in hell, and he just was uh, he was strapped to a chair, and it was just a conveyor about the donuts, and he just kept saying more, 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 more. <laughs> Meanwhile, the devil. Gave him like 2,000 donuts and he just kept sitting there going, more and more and more. And the devil's like, I don't understand. I just, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you, be dead. you guys would tell your soul in a second. I would love it just for the entertainment value. It would be great. Um, uh, if it was the Jets, no. But you guys, I like you guys, so well, that'd we, be something.
2: Well, we like you too, Christian. Where can people follow you on social media?
3: Uh, you could follow me at Twix twitter x someone told me that's what it's called now twix so i've been calling it twix (laughs) it's It's a candy i'm never gonna call it that on twix
2: (laughs) what's your handle there chris with the t-i-a-n
3: at chris with the t-i-a-n yep give me a follow i'll give you a follow back and uh like i said you can bathe in my misery
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply.
2: Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that brings us to the New York Jets. As we look at what was... I mean, you're the first... If you're the Jets, you're the first team to win or to lose on a Black Friday football game in NFL history. So Scott Mason, at least you guys have that to put in your trophy case. Like, first... We sure. did it, baby. We're here. Conor
4: McGregor said, so well, well, listen, the Jets can't stop making history. On Thanksgiving, they had the fuck fumble. And then now it's the interception uh, on a Hail Mary that went 99 <laughs> yards. So, uh, you know, and that happened on Black Friday. So Thanksgiving, it, Black Friday. Does go. anybody
2: under, like, is it weird that a player on the other team got a 98-inch TV because of
4: that interception? No, more power to Javon Holland for that. The funny thing is, as soon as I saw Holland come down with that ball, I looked and I said, oh, he's going to score. Because you saw who was in front of him. There was nobody that was going to tackle him. It was just like fat linemen that were back there. Mm -hmm. So you're like, well, he's going to breeze right past those guys. And obviously, Tim Boyle, bless his heart, at the end, he was like, I guess I'll kind of give it a shot here. But yeah, no, that was something. And you couldn't help but laugh. You know, whether you're a Jets fan or not, I mean, look, if this game meant something to the Jets, maybe if you're a Jets fan, you get angry about it. But to me, it was just funny. I know Jets fans are going to say, well, now they're going to use it to play over and over again like the butt fumble. I mean, I guess, but hopefully the Jets are good in the next couple of years at some point, and no one really cares because we all know what the season has turned into at this point.
2: Well, and so that brings me to, uh, you know, as in the graphic, as you guys who are watching on YouTube can see right now, you had an interesting tweet today, or was it yesterday, either way, about the staff of the New York Jets, the current sitting staff of the New York Jets, whose credibility has been, I think, dramatically undermined by this football season. Essentially, your belief that they will survive the 2023 NFL season, mm-hmm. can you explain or just expand on that for us? Because, I mean, you you already know how I feel. We've had conversations, both on your po- podcast and mine, about... The fact that I was never very high on Robert Sala, just in terms of, the man can call a defense. But in terms of his ability to orchestrate a football operation, and definitely not a fan of Nate Hackett.
4: Yeah, it's very simple. And and this is exactly what Zach Rosenblatt from The Athletic reported. But I've been saying it for at least a month now, it feels like. There are two things that Jets fans are not going to like, but they have to come to grips with. The first one is that the Jets are not making any major changes. The second one is that the Jets are absolutely under no circumstances drafting a quarterback in the first round. Even if they somehow got the first pick in the draft, they wouldn't do it. And Jets fans get mad at me, they yell, they scream, they holler. This is not me saying what the Jets should do. That's up to you to decide what you think they should do. I'm telling you what's going to happen and it all comes back to one person, Aaron Rodgers. Look, the Jets made this bet when they made the deal for Rodgers. It was they're going to have Rodgers for a year minimum, probably at most three, and within that time frame, they're going to go out to tr- they're going to go all out to try and win with him. And the reality is, as we've seen, moves have been made to make him comfortable, and moves will continue to be made to make him comfortable. And I believe, like wide receivers exactly who are healthy right. scratches, right? Exactly, including <laughs> that. I believe Zach uh, coordinators who don't know what they're doing and make Adam Gase look like a genius. I think Zach Rosenblatt's line in his athletic article, which is something that I've been saying all along too, is that Aaron Rodgers wields maybe more power than any other player in the NFL when it comes to you know what's going to happen. And the reason why the staff isn't going to make any change, they're not going to make any major changes, is because Aaron Rodgers, a, acts as a shield for them because they can say, hey, look. We had Aaron Rodgers. If we had him, look look at how good the defense is. We'd have been 8-3 or whatever it is they're going to say. But also because Rodgers is comfortable with these guys. He's comfortable with Douglas. He's comfortable with Salah and obviously more than anyone. He's comfortable with his buddy Nathaniel Hackett, who apparently is very good at quoting lines from the movie Airplane, but not so good at actually running an offense. But the reality is... They are going to do everything they can to play Kate Rogers because and I'm going to lay this out really quickly. The Jets did all of these things in the offseason. It took months putting together a strategy to get Rodgers and we all saw how it played out. It took all this effort. The owner just watched the team draft two quarterbacks in the top three in a five-year span yeah. that have yeah. not worked out. One of them got traded to Carolina, is now a backup in San Francisco. The other is probably headed out the door at the end of the year. Who knows what happens with him? They finally got a proven commodity and sold the ownership on that. You've got a guy who's headed for the Hall of Fame after two lottery tickets didn't work out. There's no way that the owner is going to want to change course from that and go to another lottery ticket after everything they went through to get Rogers. That's A. B, Douglas and Salah know damn well that if they do not win with Rodgers, they're out of here, both of them. They do not care about drafting a quarterback who probably won't play while they're employed with the Jets, right? So they're not doing that. And Rodgers is not signing off on any of this. And any of these people that keep saying, oh, well, who cares what he says? Number one, you may not care what he says, but the Jets do. Believe that. Number two... They can't just dare him to retire. I've heard that one. Oh, I dare him to retire. Listen, Rodgers, if he is not on the roster for any reason after this season, is a $66 million dead cap hit. If he's not on the roster after 2024 for any reason, it's a $49 million dead cap hit. The Jets' only chance and only realistic path here is to build everything they can around Rodgers for the next two years and hope that they can win some games with him and then figure things out later. As far as a quarterback, if they trade down and pick up extra picks, maybe they grab a guy in the third or fourth round or something, but there's no way they're drafting a guy in the first. And as Zach Rosenblatt reported, what I've been saying for a month, they are not making any major changes structurally. If you're a Jets fan, you can like it, you can hate it. In the words of Ric Flair, whether you like it or you don't like it, learn to love it because that's what's going to be happening. Now, it's, this is a funny
2: dynamic because I feel like, while Bills fans maybe want to punch down. I think there's a lot of them who have short memories because this is the exact situation that I think Chris the Bills were in. Think back to Jim Kelly leaving the football team. Todd Collins. They bring in Todd Collins, who, oh, no, he's going to be great. Every, this is going to go really well. Don't worry. We've been grooming this guy for two years behind Kelly. It's going to be great. You bring in Todd Collins, and you go, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. We fucked this up. So you
4: immediately pivot, and you bring in Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You're forgetting the immortal Rob Johnson. Well, no, no. Rob
2: Johnson and Doug Flutie got here at the same time.
1: And Alex Van Pelt and Billy Joe Hobart. So
2: this was it. So now you have Billy Joe Hobart, Alex Van Pelt, Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie, all floating around in the ether. And for a couple years, you cycle through those guys, right? And then it's it's Doug Flutie, Rob Johnson. Doug Flutie, Rob Johnson. All of a sudden, Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie. And it's like, all right, well, all right, we're trying to shuffle deck chairs. We're doing stuff. We're trying to make this thing work. And then that blows up. So you go, fine, fuck it. Alex Van Pelt, AVP and Rob Johnson. Those are our guys. And then that doesn't work. And then finally... Tom Brady happens, and Drew Bledsoe becomes available, and you go, you know what? We're going and we're giving—we're going to give them a first-round pick that they're going to go use, I believe, to get Richard Seymour, which (laughs) would just come back to bite us in the ass for another decade, but you go out and you get Drew Bledsoe, and you give him three uncontested years as your quarterback, and it's great. It just doesn't get us to the playoffs. It goes well, just not well enough. Especially not in the games that matter the most. And I think that that's a dynamic that... Like, they never would have thought to bring in competition for Drew Bledsoe. Like, there's a... oh4 Chris, was 04 of the year where they... I think it was. It was 2004 was the season where we could have beaten the uh, the Steelers, the backups... And the world found out who the hell Willie Parker was. <laughs> and at that point, they were like, well, all right, then this is the actual end of the road. We need to go back to the well and try to draft and try to fight. And it all just went back to shit after that. But for one glimmering moment, we had an NFL pro, a tenured NFL pro, who was a star, borderline star. Now, for you guys, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit bigger because this is a first ballot hall of fame star quarterback.
4: Right.
2: But at the same time, there wasn't a person in the building who could fuck with Drew Bledsoe at that point. <laughs> when it got him, he right. was he was going to be your guy regardless of what he did. Now, well, luckily, I don't know that he was he, good uh, and healthy for us.
4: Right. Although I don't know that Bledsoe had the same level of organizational power that that Rodgers no. probably does, but you can sort no, of No, but that's
2: the problem. But that's and I guess that that's the problem. Is that at the end of the day there was still a GM, there was still a coach, there was still a power structure inside the building. I feel like the Jets as a franchise are very good at this. I've watched them over the last 15 years give power to the wrong people fairly <laughs> consistently. Yeah. You, you, you watch Idzik get the green light to tear some things apart when he had no credentials that said he could rebuild them. And so, that, you know, so then the next guy inherits a mess. I think it was McCagnon after him. And McCagnon's drafting acumen was just awful.
4: You want to hear the funniest part of the McCagnon thing, though? The funniest part is, supposedly, all he ever wanted to do and all he ever did as GM half the time was sit in a room watching tape on his computer. The funniest part of that is, if that's all he did, you'd be like, all right, well, if he had good draft classes, sure, he was a disaster of a GM in other ways, but... Dude, his draft classes were horrendous. Like horrendous. So it's just No, you're right, dude. They've been giving power to the wrong people. And forever. think
2: about how McCagnan got bought got done in. That's the that's the stickler. And this is where I look at this and I say the problem isn't with anybody who sits in those roles. It's not Joe Douglas, it's not Robert Sala. The same way, Mike McCagnan was not a good GM, right? But he was empowered to be this guy by someone. And then what happens is you hire Adam Gase, and Adam Gase gets into a power struggle with Adam Gase was hired, I think, because McCagnon didn't believe that he had to worry about him as a threat. And instead he got backdoored for organizational authority by Adam Gase. And that ended up being his ending. And who is yeah. the person who gave Adam Gase that authority? You have an owner who well, we've made a lot of fun of David Tepper, and you know, he's taking his shots in the media this week. Woody Johnson doesn't put himself in front of a camera or a microphone very often, but I feel like he does a similarly poor job of picking in, in, the people who are going to have the most influence inside his building.
4: In, in fairness, Drew, uh, while you're correct, uh, that was Christopher Johnson, not Woody. Who okay. Was, was in charge because Woody was overseas uh, as an ambassador to England when Gase was hired and all that other stuff went down. But yeah, no, I mean, look, Woody... Look, this is the thing that I think a lot of Jets fans... This is where I will disagree with some Jets fans. Some Jets fans think Woody doesn't care. He's just trying to sell tickets or whatever. Look, Woody Johnson spent the most cash, the most cash in the NFL this year. I think he legitimately really does want to win. He wants Jets fans to love him. He wants to be the guy that brings the championship here. He's just terrible at it. He hires the wrong people... I think he tries, he does, he legitimately tries. And he's one of these guys too, like, look, he went with a search firm when he got Idzik, right? So that didn't work. So he said, okay, let's try something different. He went to Charlie Casterly and Ron Wolf, two guys who are generally fairly well-respected for their connections around the league and all that. And those two guys came back with Mike McKagnon and Todd Bowles. So that didn't work out. So then they went and and, and it just, it goes from there. And then eventually, you know, what happened with, uh, with Douglas, by all accounts, is that Salah was his guy, so they let Douglas kind of really take the, the reins on that. It just seems like Woody Johnson makes just keeps making terrible decisions. The difference between – the thing with Tepper is – I don't know if you read, though. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that because – He
2: mispronounced Frank Reich's name twice today in a press conference.
4: Yeah, well, the thing about Tepper is if, I recommend anybody read Albert Brewer's article. He has some really interesting information – on Tepper and what it, what they, people describe it's like working for him with the Panthers. And he's another one. It sounds like he really wants to win. The problem is he's applying business principles to football that don't really work. I get what he's trying to do because he's trying to use what made him successful when it comes to the, the hedge fund stuff mm-hmm. with uh, with the football team, but it, it doesn't really... There's, there's no
2: translation principles. for this. Right. And it's the and unfortunately for Jets fans, it's that dynamic of like, OK, this is the same road Jimmy Haslam went down. And how is that going for him? And at the same right. time, like Tepper's doing it now. Haslam's been doing it for uh, almost his entire tenure in Cleveland. Right. The, Woody Johnson, it's like, OK, so now you've empowered that quarterback to be the most important guy in the building. So right. and now he, the- he
4: has the power. But to be fair, I mean, a couple of things. Look, I hate the fact that he has all that power, but you could kind of understand it from this perspective. Yes. Number one, look at what a disaster the Jets have been. And they've had – the quarterback luck has been so beyond bad, uh, really ever since that one year where they got Brett Favre. And then you look at the fact that, you know, look, you bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and, and look, if you're Woody Johnson, this is totally reasonable. You say to these guys, all right, we're getting Aaron Rodgers. You're telling me that we're just a quarterback away from from winning something. If you're Woody Johnson, you have to sit there and say, okay, if these guys can't give me a winning team, forget about a Super Bowl, but if they can't give me a winning team that makes the playoffs, after I went and spent all this money on Aaron Rodgers and and bringing in this top-notch quarterback, and you're telling me we're just a quarterback away, at that point – you have to make a move because now they've proven to you that they can't get it done even with Aaron Rodgers, right? So then Joe Douglas and Robert Salah know, and reasonably so, that all their eggs are in the Rodgers basket. They got to make it work with Rodgers or they're cooked, right? And you have to understand that Woody – I think Woody's right about that because if they can't make it work with Rodgers, then, then they not shouldn't it. You're, you're, so with it. But with that being the case – now Douglas and Sala have to basically have to empower Rogers because they know that their employment is tied to him. So and I so, get it's an uncomfortable situation and it's unfortunate, but you understand why it is the way it is. And
2: it makes sense that they'll get another crack at this because they can point to the excuse of we didn't get to have him all season.
4: Well, and also because Rogers is comfortable with them, and sure, exactly. More,
2: if he didn't yeah. want him there, then Woody would be saying like things would be very different. The temperature in the building oh, would be different.
4: Listen, if Aaron Rodgers wasn't like blood brothers with, with Nathaniel Hackett, he'd have probably been fired weeks ago. But that's you know that's the way it is. And and to be fair, we both know this. It's kind of like Gase with Peyton Manning, right? If Nathaniel Hackett is calling plays or whatever with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, who cares? Because Rodgers is going to audible out of all his stupid calls anyway, and he's going to do what he wants, and it doesn't really matter who the offensive coordinator is. The problem is when it's Tim Boyle, Zach Wilson, Trevor Simeon, somebody like that. But if Rodgers is behind center, then Jets fans don't really have to care who the coordinator is. So as much as we all want Hackett out of here, if you have a healthy Rodgers, it really doesn't matter. Well,
2: as we let you go, I'll just leave you with this. Ask a Bills fan today After seeing the spacing and the motion And the cohesiveness of an offense When you have a real offensive coordinator running things It makes a difference Scott, I love you The Bills are taking a break So I'm unplugging Where can everybody else who chooses to stick their face Into the fan that is the NFL Uh, season 2023 Where can they find your work and where can they follow you on social
4: Well Drew, I look forward to Next week after you come back From unplugging Like CM Punk, although I don't think you're going to be gone for 10 years, probably only about 10 days, and we'll see what the Rockwell Report has in store for everybody once you guys return. Uh, As far as us, we never go on break. It's 365 days a year, a new show every single day, and it's available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, By the way, Iman had a great line to me when uh, he said, you really do Jets podcasts seven days a week, 365 days a year? I said, yeah, except on leap years. He goes, wow, that's incredible, man. I don't think there's anything I could talk about seven days a week. I just thought that was a really funny line. Uh, by the way, have to say this, Drew, and I know you'll approve. Uh, tried some more of the Q42. Phenomenal stuff. Everybody should go buy it. It's awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, while you're getting your Q42 and grilling up some stuff, listen to Play Like a Jet anywhere you can download podcasts. We're on YouTube, youtube.com/ Play Like a Jet. I'm on Twitter play like a jet one. We've got our store at T E E and plenty of content this week as the jets get ready to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Unfortunately, the jets are in the all too familiar position of many fans, including myself thinking that it's probably best that they don't win another game the rest of the year. Real quick guys, cause I know we didn't address this. I never believed Rogers would play. I still don't. He kind of clarified that unless the jets are in, position to contend he's not going to play i did an entire show for anybody who's interested on this with a orthopedic surgeon who i know pretty well who has done that procedure many times and we talked about the downside risk and essentially it goes like this real quickly the jet the aaron Rodgers, and and i can make this analogy really fast but it's almost like you have a tv mounted to a wall it's a very sturdy mount That's what that Arthrex speed bridge does. It's an internal shin, uh, an internal brace, an internal splint that supports the tendon, that holds it up. That's why you can see Rogers walking around and doing all of that. If a 150 pound person jumps up and down in front of that mounted TV set repeatedly, there's a very, 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 very minor chance that anything's gonna happen to that TV set. If it's a 400 pound person, the the mount is still very secure very good chance that the TV doesn't fall but a much greater chance that it does than if it was the 150 pound guy so what I'm saying is if Rogers waits until the summer and lets the tendon heal fully much better uh, not much better but at least a significant better chance that something bad doesn't happen than if he goes out there with that speed bridge on and the tendon not fully healed think of that mounted TV set. And if you want to hear that episode, that's available. It came out Monday on the play like a jet feed gentlemen. Enjoy the next couple of days. And boy, I wish I I could tell you, I thought that the bills had a chance to unseat the dolphins in the AFC East, just because as much as I'm not a bills fan, I'm way less of a dolphins fan. So we'll see if they go on a run, but I'd rather the bills win the AFC East than the dolphins. That's for sure.
1: Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Al Fartiaga in about 10 to 15 minutes, they are the DOA of the AFC East. That's the Disciples of Apocalypse. A biker gang from the (laughs) mid-90s. Hang on. I want to see, because I'm thinking of
2: the AOC.
1: You mean the uh, politician? No. Former bartender politician? No. DOA wrestling. Disciples of Apocalypse. It was... WWE. Crush chains, chains Skull 8 Ball. And they were like <laughs> yeah. a they were like a biker gang, see?
2: <laughs> the funny thing is Elf's probably the only one who actually had had biceps like that at one point in his life,
1: probably. Scott Elf, Scott Elf could, Scott, could, Scott would be the manager.
2: Elf he, what was he like, guy, uh, like Cornette?
1: Yeah. Could Scott Jim would Cornette? be like Jim Cornette.
2: On oh, mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, that's probably more fitting because Hart was a little guy, wasn't he?
1: Well, so yeah, Cornet was too.
2: Was he? He seems. Whenever they do those dark side of the ring things, he's always he always seems taller.
1: No, Cornet can fucking talk.
2: I know, but he seems taller, like a bigger dude.
1: No, like that Scott Mason would be a perfect wrestling manager.
2: All right, so. If you guys listen to our recap show this week, which I wouldn't blame most of you if you didn't, ah, uh, we are the drizzling shits. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills are a resounding six and six. We are a five hundred football team, and pretty much everything's terrible. I just say a York peppermint patty because it doesn't matter. None of this matters. We're here talking about the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and now I'm going to drink a Montucky. Because, again, beer, peppermint patties, those go well together, right? I bet that's minty. Yeah,
1: that's a minty beer.
2: So we have no choice but to sit back and watch week 13 play out without us. Now, obviously, we still have somehow. If you listen to the end of our last podcast, somehow... The Bills are still in the top 10 for Super Bowl favorites. Isn't that wild to feel the way that we feel and know that you're talked about as a still as a favorite to win the Super Bowl in some capacity?
1: Yeah, it's weird.
2: And that you're rated ahead of teams like the Seahawks. Yeah. You know, it's just because of Josh Allen, right? Everyone's like, well, if they can just find a way to get in that guy. That guy's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, this Sunday, if you don't want to watch the Bills, because they're not on, the bye week, you can watch the Sabres. They're playing Sunday night against Nashville. That's something to look forward to.
2: They're, right now, it's pathetic to say, but the Sabres are our only hope. as Buffalo sports fans.
1: They had a good showing on Monday against the Rangers. They beat the shit out of one it's, of the best teams it's in the like, league. It's five almost to one. like they knew.
2: They were like, we have to show up right now yeah. or else this city will burn itself.
1: Out. Yeah. Or what the Sabres are doing are, is false hope.
2: I mean, isn't that what they all do every year? Yeah. A little bit of false hope. So you're out of town, scoreboard watching. Like now, if, Here's the thing. If you're like me, you are going to unplug from football. I am going on a trip to the Toronto Aquarium with my family.
3: (laughs) I'm not watching. Are your
2: kids even allowed in Canada? Of course. I'm surprised I still am. (laughs) I I think that's the bigger shock is that I'm still allowed across the Canadian border. I mean, we'll see how tonight goes. But with that in mind, I will be unplugging from the bills and football NFL football in general for the entirety of the weekend. I mean I'm I'm just I'm finished, Chris. I have nothing else. I missed the playoffs in my fantasy football league, both of them. I uh, my team is on the verge of collapse. <coughs> what, what what's your motivation to watch NFL football this weekend?
1: I don't because I'll mm-hmm. be at work all day Sunday. And then I'll get home and I'm going to put on the Sabres game. And even if they're, I'll have to look and see if there's even a late hockey game after the Sabres because Sunday night is Kansas City and Green Bay. And I don't want to watch that at all. I don't want to see. I'm pretty much checked out of the Bills season altogether to, all after what happened on Sunday. Like, I'm just, I'm ready for the draft. Do you want to do a mock draft?
2: Oh, my God!
1: (laughs) Should we we start looking at mocks?
2: You know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to write a Bills version of the Adam Sandler uh, (laughs) song from The Wedding Singer. Just, please kill me. Like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do with my free weekend when I'm not watching football. For those of you that are, here's who you should be rooting for. Because as of today, the Buffalo Bills have a 14% chance to make the playoffs. According to the NewYorkTimes.com, interactive playoff percentage
1: calculator. Let me uh, run this down right quick for you. For those, this is mostly local podcasts. If you live in Buffalo, New York, you're mostly listening to us right now. Locally, Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS, you have Denver and Houston, are on the Fox early game is Miami and Washington, and then the late game we all get San Francisco and Philadelphia.
2: All right, so if you're thinking about what outcomes would make things better for the Buffalo Bills, first of all, you need to be rooting for the Titans over the Colts. Now, the Colts just lost their best running back. I don't give a fuck what you think about Zach Moss. A loss by them, by the Colts, raises our playoff chances by 1%. An inexplicable win by the Patriots over the Chargers would bump that up to about 18%. The Cardinals at the Steelers is an interesting one, Chris, because the
1: Steelers aren't good at the offense. Yeah, they got rid of Matt Canada.
2: The offense, they're not good at it. So, they get rid of Matt Canada, but that doesn't mean anything. You're playing a Cardinals team that has an actual quarterback who can throw a football. You also have a strong defense, and that's been the thing that's won you almost all of your games. The fact that you've run the ball at a mediocre pace, and you've been able to play really, really, really great defense. Now, they're getting Minka Fitzpatrick back, which I'm sure will help. But at the same time, I just feel like the Cardinals have to do something, don't they? Like, they're due a win here somewhere, right? The Cardinals? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Lions-Saints, I guess if the Saints win, it actually helps us in some weird way. It adds a percentage, but they're not going to. Uh, The Lions should win that one. In the meantime, Falcons... Right? You need the Falcons over the Jets. You really want to slam the door shut on that whole experiment. Cardinals over the Steelers. Commanders over the Dolphins. That increases our odds by half a percent. And realistically, if the Dolphins win again this weekend, they have a three game lead that will never catch them.
1: I do kind of like Commanders plus nine and a half. If you're looking at the spread, Commanders plus nine and a half is
2: interesting, right? Like, at least on its face. You need the Broncos over the Texans. Philosophically. But at the same time, what do you think, Chris? Like, I'm just I'm spitballing here before I click it. What do you think? Broncos over Texans, Texans over Broncos. What do you think matters?
1: I would assume Texans over Broncos because of that head-to-head win. No, look at you.
2: You're right. Texans over Broncos. Rams at Browns, or Browns at Rams, that's going to be a big one for us. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson, his situation, whether he's out of the concussion protocol or not, they might have Joe Flacco. I don't know if that's good for them or not. If Joe Flacco's your starting quarterback?
1: Yeah, I can't move.
2: Eagles 49ers, I feel like since it's a wash, you root for the 49ers anyway because, as we talked about, people from Philly can kick rocks. Packers at Chiefs, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, you're going to root for the Packers, but again, it doesn't really impact us overwhelmingly either way. In fact, somehow, according to the calculator, if the Chiefs win, it's actually better for us. We'll figure that out. (coughs) The biggest one left of the weekend is the Jaguars at the Bengals. We need the Jaguars to win this game. And I think that that's pretty reasonable, isn't it? Yeah. (coughs) Jake Browning and that crew just lost to Kenny Pickett. Am I supposed to believe that they're also going to lose to a team that can score... What did they score against the Texans? Who? The Jaguars. It was like 27-24, I think.
1: Something like that.
2: I know they can score points. I know they have an offensive head coach. The Bengals have... Not a whole, like their coaching is all, Lou Amarino might be the, if he can get that team to win four more games, it'll be a godsend. And then Lou will himself be a head coach next year. Mark my words. (coughs) Titans, Patriots, Saints, Falcons, Cardinals, Commanders, Texans, Rams, 49ers, Chiefs, Jaguars. Those are your rooting interests for the weekend. If everything, Chris, everything goes well, the Bills can finish the weekend with about a 21% chance to make the playoffs. Not great. Not ideal. Not ideal whatsoever. But that's the hand we're dealt, and the hole that... Uh, As you know we feel, Sean McDermott's dug for us. It'll be interesting to see what the landscape looks like when we come back off of our bye week. Hopefully they get healthy and they get their heads on straight because it's going to take a run here to make anything happen in 2023. And as we close the program, obviously El Artiaga joins us so we can discuss his Miami Dolphins who just put in absolute beating on the New York Jets this week and are now the only team in NFL history to be 1-0 on Black Friday. Well,
1: that win came as a, at a price, too.
2: Elf, <laughs> first, let, let's start here. This is the first time since the 90s, I believe, the 90s, that the Miami Dolphins have had a clear two-game lead for the division. I'm, I'm thinking like 92, 94. Can you think back... When is the last time you guys had a very clear, like, substantial lead in the AFC East? I
5: don't remember, but I don't think it's two, by the way. It's two and a half, and it's going to be three on Sunday. So, (laughs) I don't remember. I don't remember when was the last time. What was it? Uh, Like, in 2008, they won the division, but, you know, that came down to the last two weeks. Yep. I'm thinking, two,
2: two, I went back and looked. So 2000... Yeah, they
5: clinched the playoffs, and I remember it's, it's the coldest game in Dolphin history that mm-hmm. they won. It was in Kansas City. Yep. They clinched the playoffs, but they needed to win the following week to clinch the division. And mm-hmm. I remember New England could have made the playoffs as the division winner, and we would have been a wild card yep. had we lost to the Jets on that last Sunday. But we beat the Jets, we won the division and eliminated the patriots
2: so so then so 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 then you go back to like 90 like i said then you go back to 2000 i think Wanstead was coaching for you guys uh and you guys won but it was tight with new england again it was another one of those or no not new england new england that was one of their down years who was that who
5: wasn't in 2000 there chris i'm trying to think i don't remember um the Jets were okay, I think, in those days. I think they were coming off of their, their little run. Uh, 2001, I think it was New England. Yeah. 2000 was the Dolphins.
2: Okay. 11 right. and
5: 5 over, over the Colts at
1: 10 and 6.
2: Okay. So that was it. It was the Colts. So this is going, this is how far back this goes. There was five <laughs> teams still in the AFC and you won the division by a single game. So if you go back even farther, it was you guys neck and neck with Buffalo 92, 94. You guys win the division, but it's not, like, like, you guys had leads. And so it's just always interesting to me. Like, I think this might be the first time in our lifetimes that the Dolphins have had this big of a lead in the division.
5: Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't go that far because well, I mean, 1984, 1985. Well, I was going to say, you're old as shit, our- so. <laughs> <laughs> I think, weren't you alive in 1984, 1985?
2: No, I was born in 85, baby.
5: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, 91, I think it was close between Buffalo and Miami. So yeah, 1984, 1985, they were blowouts. Uh, I think Miami won those divisions by five, six, seven games, something like that. So, so uh, rare. So yeah. It, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure.
2: Rarefied yeah. air here for the Miami Dolphins in 2023. You're heading towards what is, what feels like the inevitable clinching of a playoff spot here. And you're doing so with new injuries, turnovers still kind of leaving some room for doubt, despite this easy schedule. What's the temperature of the room right now as far as how you feel? I mean, obviously it almost feels inevitable that you will clinch and po- probably clinch the division here shortly. Like, but with all these other problems, like what's the upshot beyond that in your mind?
5: Well, the Dolphins are the first team with a magic number. Magic number is four, so any combination of Dolphin wins and Buffalo losses that equal four, and they win the division. So, yeah, you're right. They should be clinching this soon. They're not without their issues. As one thing comes online, which is uh, the offensive line is getting a little healthier and playing better because they're finding guys off their bench that are actually pretty good. Keon Smith comes to mind. Uh, Kendall Lamb has always been has been good all year. And they're running the ball really, really, really well. They are turning it over. And it did take the Jalen Phillips injury, which they have a a short and quick fix for in the near future. Mm -hmm. But, you know, none of these guys are Jalen Phillips. But you're going to have to replace him with, oddly enough, a guy that you paid $19 million a year to and who's been on the bench all year. So... I guess those Dolphin fans that wanted to trade Emmanuel Agba at the deadline just to get an just to say that they traded something. You know, I guess now they'll appreciate holding on to that guy because mm-hmm. he steps in and Andrew Van Ginkle goes back to his role on the edge and they picked up Jason Pierre Paul to pick up the 10 snaps or so that'll be left on, on the table.
2: It's to your point, and I think that this is something that the Bills found out when it came to losing our, you know, our players, you know, when Daquan Jones went down and everyone said, well, it's okay because we're deep at defensive tackle. It's like, yeah, but that guy was having a special season. He's a special talent. You don't just replace that. Now, obviously, we tried with our own people and then eventually went out and got Linville Joseph and he's made things better. He's done a much better job than anybody who was on the roster doing it. But at the same time, it's still not the job Dequan Jones was doing. And you can see the ripple effect of that affecting the rest of the team's production.
5: Yeah, you don't replace, you try to replicate. And Miami's going to try to do it with three guys. <laughs> so that tells you how good Jalen uh, Phillips is.
2: Yeah. And and so that's where you know, from what you guys have been doing from a defensive standpoint, how much of the scheme here is dependent on the amount of pressure Jalen Phillips is creating? Because I know, in terms of overall sack numbers, the Dolphins haven't been exactly killing it this year. I don't know where they are. I'd have to look up the numbers here. But I
5: believe they're third in
2: the NFL. Okay. So you guys have done well, but then okay. So then where does these where do these guys fit in? Because it seems like you guys are doing it more. Like there isn't a star pass rusher,
5: right? Uh, well, Jalen Phillips was well on the way there. Uh, Bradley Chubb is having a pretty decent season, but all the sacks are pretty much spread up, spread apart. And if you believe, uh, some of those advanced metrics, uh, we posted some on our, on our three yards per carry Twitter account. Andrew Van Ginkle is the best pass rusher in football because he's the one who's getting to the the quarterback the fastest. And we saw what a start he got off to. Like he was headed, oddly, oddly enough, he was sent to the bench. When he was set to the bench, he was headed for some type, some type of ridiculous 15, 16 sack season. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you don't keep him, you know, you don't keep Jalen Phillips on the bench as soon as he comes off of IR just to keep playing Andrew Van Ginkle. So then Andrew Van Ginkle went to the, the bench and Jalen Phillips took over the slack and was averaging a sack a game, which is pretty damn good. So I believe, uh, they're sacked that they have a great pass rush this season. I believe that they are nine sacks from the lead. And that team that is in the lead is the Ravens and they have a bye. And the Dolphins are playing the, the commander. So they Mm -hmm. could get 10 sacks and take the lead for sacks in the NFL this weekend.
2: So you don't think that on the whole, there'll be any drop off in production from this unit losing Jalen Phillips
5: from the unit. No, what they are going to lose is because you can't replace them, it's those special plays that Jalen Phillips would make. Uh, so they're going to have to get it from the scheme and from the aggregate, which means those three players that they're going to use to try to replace them, which means that they're going to move guys around, which means Andrew Van Genkel will no longer play linebacker. He'll be playing on the edge almost ex- exclusively, which means more David Long, which is not a bad thing. But you're going to lose those special plays. There was a play uh, against the Jets that there's not many guys that could, that could make the play that he made. He rushed the passer on Tim Boyle, almost got the sack. Tim Boyle throws it across the field to Bryce Hall, uh, Brees Hall and Jalen Phillips peels back about 40 yards and makes the tackle at the sticks to prevent a first down. And uh, for those who track it with that, uh I keep forgetting the name of the tracker, but Jalen Phillips ran 82 yards on that one play to make a stop. 40 yards away for a nine-yard gain on third and 11. Those plays are just special. Those, those are just plays that maybe two three guys can make that play mm. in the NFL, and he's one of them.
2: Is it funny seeing your team on hard knocks in the middle of the season? Because this is one thing I saw on Twitter a lot over the last two days. Fans kind of talking about the gut-wrenching nature of seeing that Jalen Phillips injury kind of play out in front of them and the actual behind the scenes player reaction. I mean, this is this is what's interesting. You know, and I know that like when injuries happen, there's a lot that goes on, both you know, not only behind the scenes in terms of what the team has to do, but then also with that player. There's the human element that I think gets lost on a lot of people when it comes to these things. And so to have something like this put in front of everyone's eyeballs and have them forced to see it and kind of come to terms with it, like that's something we've talked to, you know, Tyler Dunn, we talk with him about it all the time, humanizing the game of football. do, Do you feel it resonating with the rest of your fan base? Like kind of an understanding of or a broader appreciation for the human aspect of football, now that they've gotten to watch something like that happen to one of their own? And watch. Yeah, the they're way getting it impacts him in real time.
5: Yeah, they're getting a new appreciation for their coach. That's for one thing, because he's he's the obvious star of Hard Knocks. But they saw everything that went in into uh, Jalen Phillips's you know big year this year. Uh, they also got to see a glimpse of how the Dolphins practice. And uh, Mike McDaniel has said this you know a million times over every time he's asked about this, but he says, look, you know, you don't practice, you know, you don't practice to play on a Sunday by going 40%. So they tend to go a hundred percent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, getting ready for games. So they go full speed and you got to see some of those practices, how they were just trying to grab reps and we didn't have a guard for one play. And you saw how Zach Cedar ran in to play guard on one play just to make sure that the defense could get a rep on a, on a simulated pass rush. So, He's a guy who was working extremely hard. Uh, you know, you know, I gotta do is just look at him like <laughs> those are not those are not normal human beings. Six five, 275 and seventy five pound guys that look like that and run like that are you know it's not a normal thing. Mm. So it's just a shame because he was having that monster year, and it's also the setup of the entire Hard Knocks episode. Because while Mike McDaniel was obviously the star, and I guess nobody knew what a potty mouth Mike McDaniel was. Until they saw him on Hard Knocks. But they also saw the human side of it, which is... You know, the whole lead-up of the whole show was Mike McDaniel telling Jalen Phillips... You know, this is a nationally televised game. This is your breakout game. After this game, everybody's going to know your name. And then, sure enough, he's having an absolute insane game. And there he goes. He tears his Achilles late in the game. On a pass rush. So... And you just see the realization on Jalen Phillips' face as he's telling – as everybody's saying, what's wrong? And he's like, I just blew this thing out. Like, this thing just blew. And then the realization on his face, like, okay, now I know what this means. And then, of course, he starts crying about it. Mm-hmm. And Mike McDaniel comes up to him, and you, you get to see the human side of all of that, which is, you know, this sport wasn't really designed for the human body to play. It no. just wasn't. No. And that's why the guys who play it are so extraordinary.
2: Mm-hmm. It is crazy when you think about the amount of attrition in the human body this game like brings about, and how you know for all of us who criticize, like it is funny. Like I understand why athletes don't give a damn what I think because they're like, yeah, okay, asshole, come put a helmet on and take, go out there and try to tackle Derrick Henry one time. It's like, no, no, I did that. I ran my mouth at a college party and got railroaded by a, by a D1 third string linebacker. And I thought I died. Like you had, you talk about seeing your entire laugh, life flash before your eyes. I saw all of the hubris. I saw everything. And that was a collegiate player who's never sniffed the NFL.
5: Yeah. No, and, and I had a lot of injuries when I played in high school <clears throat> and leading into college and I tore my MCL. And I thought I tore every single ligament on my entire leg. And I would have, like, you know, I had I was at, at the clinic with the doctor looking at me saying, all you have is an MCL tear. I'm like, all I have is an MCL tear? I think that my leg is going to fall off. Like, if you told me you had to amputate this thing, I would believe you. <laughs> And so and, you and, watch these guys and they get MCL tears and you see them two to four weeks and they're back and they're running the football in four weeks. It's crazy.
2: And that's what I'm talking about. It takes a special type of person to do this. And so it sucks that that happened to Jalen Phillips. And it, like I said, it was, it was cool to get to see the way a coach handles that and the way a player handles that. And I think that obviously you and I know about this, but it's refreshing for everyone else to get a chance to see it. Because that's the reality of football. Like, that's it right there. That's a guy realizing that what was an amazing season of his is now over. That all of these things that he was striving for and that working his ass off for are now out of his grasp. And there's nothing he can do about it. And then you start to think about, like, okay, well, what next? What next? Like, how do I, like, I've been getting back and I just got back over this injury. How do I get back off this one? and you just watch the way that these guys are wired differently than the average human being to come back and do these things it's it's really special
5: i think so yeah but the the hard rock thing uh, you know i mean the, the hard knocks thing it's i thought it was going to be a disaster but evidently it's pretty well hidden and it's it's been kind of revealing uh, for this team and you know all the conversations that they have and all the the sideline banter. I don't know if you've seen the the two episodes, but this last episode was actually pretty pretty funny.
2: I've seen most of it, so depending on what you're talking about. But no, I just like the fact that it gives me, and it gives people an appreciation for your coach, who might otherwise just continue to see him as a dork in sneakers. <laughs>
5: <laughs> did you see? Did you see him talking to Salah and uh, before the game talking about no. how he got hit on the first play against the Raiders? No. Well, I don't know if we can repeat what he was saying. I don't know how uh how uh EG you want to keep this, but it's interesting. I suggest you watch it. It's pretty funny.
2: We'll have to go check that out. Um hopefully this week, you know, again, we don't want you running away with this thing. So Oh we will. <laughs> we wish you the best of luck, but not too much luck. All right there, sir. Now where can everybody find you on social media? Where can they find your content?
5: Yeah, you could you could follow everything we do at number three yards per carry on Twitter. And of course, if you want to listen to our podcast, you could get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Also, the number three yards per carry.
2: Guys, this has been a lot of fun. We get to cool our heels for a week and watch the Dolphins potentially pull farther away with the AFC East for the first time in God knows how many years. For tonight we going to get the hell out of here, though. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's Roundup.